The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States' relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound Off with Kevin. Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Night one of the Democratic National Convention featuring former Republican Governor John Kasich and Senator Bernie Sanders plus former First Lady Michelle Obama. We've got a complete, complete synopsis coming from Wendy Benjaminson. Uh, And we're going to get every angle covered plus what's on... What's on Congress's mind if it's not fiscal stimulus? Looks like they're talking about the U.S. Postal Service. We'll dive into the policy and the politics on that debate as Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi is calling back the members from their August recess. Lots to get through. All of that plus a little bit of foreign policy as well. Why Taiwan is on my radar. I will get to that uh, sometime over the course of the program as well. And S&P 500 gains but fails to eclipse its all-time high. I'll give you a markets wrap as well. As we head in to the first of the two conventions, both virtual, you know, we've got also this really important issue of the U.S. Postal Service, uh, and and, and that's going to get a vote because the House has set a vote on a $25 billion aid package to help the embattled Postal Service. And of course, it comes at a time in which Louis DeJoy, who heads the He's the postmaster general. He heads the USPS, Republican appointed. He's saying that now he's going to testify. He's agreed to testify in the House next week during the GOP convention. So, I mean, we've got a, it's like two worlds colliding, but we're going to begin tonight with my colleague, Wendy Benjaminson. She, of course, is Bloomberg politics editor. Um, Wendy, thanks for joining us. I'm going to, I'm going to pick your brain about the, the USPS, but hey, in just a couple of hours. We're finally going to get a convention, but no pomp and circumstance. What can I expect tonight from the first night of the virtual convention at the DNC? Well, that's right, Kevin, and thanks for having me. We're um, we're going to have a series of live stream speeches more than a convention. Many of them pre-recorded so that Zoom doesn't crash on them or or whatever conference call function they're using doesn't um, doesn't crash on them. So many of the, this takes a lot of the kind of um, excitement and suspense, if there was any suspense, out of political conventions. There's, as I heard someone saying, there's no balloon drops, there's no, you know, excitement, there's no cheering. They'll have, they'll try to pipe in the sounds of cheering from remote watch parties around the country, but even those people will probably be six to ten feet apart, so it's not those sort of cheers. Um, The big speeches tonight are um, four 
Republicans who now endorse Joe Biden, that's a little unusual, followed by Bernie Sanders at the opposite end of the political spectrum. And then the big, uh, the big finale is Michelle Obama, who is really one of the most popular figures in American politics and um, will be ending the night with a speech. Well, I want to, I wanna, you know, for purposes of our audience as Wendy Benjamin's and Bloomberg Politics Editor, let's talk about the policy. How do you, how do you, how do you get John Kasich to square with Bernie Sanders? From an economic policy perspective, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you don't. I, that's you what don't. I mean, you just, though. They're just going to say from each of their. So here's where I think Biden is. What I think the Biden camp is trying to do. They're trying to use John Kasich and Meg Whitman and Christine Whitman and Susan Molinari to say to you, Obama Trump voters. Um, or to Republicans who are unhappy with Trump's presidency to say, it's okay, you can vote for Joe Biden. You're not, you know, betraying your values or your party or anything like that. And then turn to the left, literally and figuratively, and say to the progressives, Joe Biden's, you know, not going to betray your feelings or beliefs either, that he is, you know, you will get more from him than you would from another four years of Donald Trump. So he's they're talking to different slices of the electorate with these speeches. It's remarkable though because if, if for Senator Bernie Sanders, I mean, I mean he here here's the 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 architect of the modern day democratic socialist uh, socialism in our country and he's really going to play a unifier of sorts. Is he going to give a rally the crowd of, of, of uh, universal health care? I mean, what is he going to go into policy or is he going to say, hey, for right now, this is the best we have to do? He's got his plan tonight in the eight minutes he has to speak. I mean, they're really moving this thing along. Is that um, Joe Biden? Eight minutes, who, that's it? That's it. He'll say that Joe Biden is the one that the country needs to unify around. This is what Bernie Sanders will say. And that um, whether you agree with him on every policy or not, he's better than Donald Trump. That the the whole idea of, of the convention is to say, join us in defeating Donald Trump. Join them, the Democrats, in defeating Donald Trump. Wow. So what? take us behind the scenes. I mean, what are, what are the reports on the ground saying about precisely just how the <laughs> optics of this, Wendy? Because it is really the remarkable. The reporters on the ground are all in their home I know. offices. But that's what's just so bizarre. I mean, truthfully, because I, I think back, you know, I, over the weekend, again, doesn't say much about my social life, but I, <laughs> over the weekend, I was watching all the old convention speeches. Remember Bill Clinton got up there and kind of went off script and it was this meandering, you know, speech in 2012 and everyone hailed it as, oh, that's, you you know, you know, the, the, the Southern Democrat coming up and, and really, you know, making a last stand. And, and then you had, uh, you had Barack Obama, who could forget, in 2004 uh, when he spoke at the convention. I mean, you had all of these important, important moments. Do you think that anyone can break out of the virtual convention, especially if they're already pre-recorded? Wow, they're not even live. I do think there will be a chance for people to break out, though. I mean, look, we're all we're all trying to make everyone, from Democrats to Republicans to to the convention planners to us, are all trying to make the best of this rather awful situation. So Michelle Obama could bring the house down, right? She's she's she gave a great speech in 2016. That's when she said, "When they go low, we go high." Um, she's expected, well, at least the hype is that she's going to top that tonight. Um, she will. Um, you know, and then you do have Bill Clinton, you do have Hillary Clinton. Over the next few days, you have a lot of really good speakers, ending with 
Kamala Harris and the vice presidential nominee and Joe Biden, the presidential nominee. So there is who will get much more than eight minutes to speak. So there is a chance for a speech that will move the country. The question is how many people are going to watch. That's what I was just going to ask. a series of live stream speeches. It's like spending your evening watching a Zoom call, you know, for two hours every night. And Wendy. Live events. They are putting in musical events. They're putting in some fun, you know. There's a lot of different musical acts. So we'll see. Wendy, one thing that you and I can agree on is we've all been on those, yeah, you have to show up to that Zoom. You know, it's like it's like the uh, the Zoom that you get invited to and you, you try to think of 8 million reasons why you don't have to show up. And then you go on and you're like, why did I agree to do this? Why did I agree? I mean, that's kind of what it could feel like. I'm always eager to get on those calls. Oh, well, no, (laughs) unless it's my niece and nephew who are going to grab the phone. I don't. I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I'm going to get in trouble. Um, let me ask you about this, though, for real. I mean, one of the things, and, and folks, you're going to hear me mention this over the next couple of days. One of the speeches that I'm most most curious to see is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, as well as next week, Senator Tim Scott, a Republican from South Carolina, because here are two rising stars within their virtual political movements. And, and here's one who who is the heir apparent, so to speak, of democratic socialism, and the latter, of course, being the Jack Kemp era parent to a new era of conservative economic ideology. So the contrast from just the Bloomberg perspective of, of the of the economic angles is going to be incredibly, incredibly important. Tell me something I don't know about the virtual conventions, Wendy Benjaminson, before I let you go. Will I see you this week in the office or no? No, no, we're all working at home. All um, right. The uh, What can I tell you that you don't know? I don't know. It will be interesting to see how they work in applause lines. It'll be interesting to see, for me, how do you write a speech for a politician that you're not building to a crescendo, that you're not waiting for people to stand up and cheer, you know, that you're, that you're, you know, writing a speech that is more of a uh, lecture than a speech. That's, that's going to be an interesting, an interesting You can't. Maggie, Wendy, you can't. You know who I'm looking forward to seeing? Maggie Rogers. She's a good musical artist. She's apparently. She's going to be performing. I like music. All right, Wendy Benjaminson, always great to catch up with you, my friend. Have a great, great week. I'm sure I'll be talking with you throughout the next couple of weeks. And you, congratulations uh, on all of the work that you and your team have been doing. It's just been incredible. You've been all over this, and I'm excited to see what the team pulls out. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com, or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app, you can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 991. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 991 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Do you see these Florida polls over the last couple of weeks? Biden, Joe Biden, up in Florida. The Sunshine State, Sunny Sarasota, Siesta Key, which may or may may not be the show I've been binge-watching throughout this pandemic on MTV. Got to be honest. Can't lie to you folks. Um, And I also have to give a shout-out to a very special listener, a four-year-old fan, Chloe. Thank you for listening, Chloe. Um, But anyway, Florida. Florida. Wow. 
these polls. And I don't think a Republican's ever won the presidential election in like really decades unless they've carried unless they've carried Florida. Nikki Freed is on the line. She's Florida's commissioner of agriculture and consumer services. Nikki, are these polls right? Is Joe Biden up five or six points? Absolutely. Uh, I, I can feel it on the ground here in the state of Florida. You're absolutely right. Uh, Barack Obama carried Florida twice. Uh, there is no way to get to the White House without the state of Florida. So completely confident that we're going to deliver it for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. All right, Nikki, you're giving a speech tomorrow. Congrats on uh, being tapped to speak you're on, on, a, on a Rising Stars speech. I want to ask you really about behind the scenes and what it's like to do this virtually. But first, give me a preview of what, you, what we're going to hear tomorrow night. Yeah, it's, it's really, a, you know, such an honor to be part of the DNC convention. Uh, I'll be part of kind of a, a new kind of keynote address. Um, I'll be alongside, uh, there'll be 17 of us all together that are all kind of up-and-coming leaders in the Democratic Party. And the goal is to really, you know, lay out our vision for the future and really showing why leadership matters and, and showing uh, what the future of our country looks like. And, and so it's a really exciting opportunity uh, to really lay out the, all the cards of this is what the future can look like. All right. All right. So do you have to record it before? Is it like a Zoom thing? I mean, I'm very curious because, you know, I love the convention. I love the balloons, the confetti, and everyone makes fun of me for it. You know, the food, the stadium food. I would always get the popcorn. Last cycle, I was in Philly. I showed up with, um, with for all the editors. I, I, went, I got soft pretzels for them because that's my hometown. And all these pretzels, right. all these hoagies, all the and food. And the cheesesteaks. Oh, Come on, the trust me. Too. Well, my uncle owns a hoagie shop, and trust me, Tony Luke's Tony's friend of mine. I know a thing or two about cheesesteaks, Nikki. But I miss <laughs> it. So, how are you going to do this? How are you yeah. going to do this? Yeah. So, what we did was uh, we had a full script, and uh, we I got a, a box in the mail that kind of almost looks like the nuclear codes uh, that was <laughs> delivered to the house <laughs> that had all of the technology, the, the iPads, and uh, cameras. Uh, and lights, and we zoomed in uh, to uh, people from the convention, and we tape recorded it. Uh, so I delivered uh, the full speech, uh, as well as certain sections that were dedicated solely to me. And now the DNC works its magic and has all 17 of us and different lines that we all delivered, and it's going to spice it together. And there's going to be some B-roll. I know we sent them a whole bunch of pictures from uh, my last year and a half in office, uh, as well as some B-roll shoots. Uh, so they're going to work their magic and put all of us on stage, and it's going to be interesting. I haven't seen it either. There's uh, so, I'll so be, uh, much pressure. Yeah, I'll be watching with everybody else. But you think of the pressure, I mean, seriously, just the pressure on, on crafting such a, a massively important uh, television event, no matter what party you're in. I mean, just think about it. They literally, folks, we just heard from Nikki Freed, Florida's Commissioner of Agriculture and Consumer Services, and they said she, it was like the nuclear codes, her words. And they send them in the iPads and all the technology, and then they've got to set it up. Here's Nikki Fried, an elected official, Florida's commissioner of agriculture and consumer services. And she's got to, she's got to do what we all had to do when the boss is sending you equipment and you're, and you're figuring it all out. And you're like, what is going on? Imagine doing that for a convention, a convention, a nationally televised convention. Nikki, I want to ask you about this USPS situation. What are, what are Floridians having to say about mail-in voting? You know, there, there was obviously a lot of uh, criticism from the White House uh, that 
that it was not reliable. And, you know, I think this for the first time uh, that the Republican Party here in the state kind of broke with, with the president saying, no, our, our mail-in ballot system is secure. Uh, you know, our only concern, of course, is, is making sure that the ballots get to the post office in time and, and get to uh, the actual supervisor election. And that's why we need to make sure that we are honoring and respecting our U.S. Postal Service and giving them the resources uh, that they need to deliver the ballots on time. Uh, somebody who was part of a recount in the 2018, uh, they didn't get a chance to, you know, to count all the ballots on election night. Uh, we were still waiting for Broward ballots to be counted two days after uh, once my opponent had already declared victory. And so finally, when they counted all the ballots, uh, you know, there was a flip. And hopefully we don't have that situation because I can tell you I still have PTSD thinking about those couple of weeks of the recount and, and waiting for all the ballots to be counted. Um, but, you know, it's a, I think that here in the state, everybody is optimistic that we're going to have it and we're going to do it right. Uh, and now it's just a matter of making sure that our Postal Service can do their jobs. All right. I do want to ask you about policy while I have you on the line, because you're arguing that uh, USMCA did not do exactly what it said it's going to do. Uh, why? What's your issue with USMCA? And uh, what's your issue with USMCA? Uh, where should I start? Uh, you know, first of all, NAFTA was decimated the Florida agriculture industry. Uh, for 25 years, we have seen a, a drastic decrease in the amount of Florida produce um, in, in its marketplace and a huge expansion, almost 400% expansion of the Mexican market here in the state of Florida and really across the country. And USMCA did nothing better, did not do anything to fix it. Uh, and so what's happening is that the standards are a lot less. I, I think I was getting quoted that the other day that for a worker out of Mexico, it's $7 a day um, for pay, and we can't compete like that. And so there's standards for, for labor costs, for um, any type of fertilizers they use, they get subsidies from the, from their government, and then they ship those products into our, into our own country and into our state. And we have a very similar growing season as Mexico, so our, our, our markets can't compete. And you saw even drastically the comparison during, during COVID. We saw so many of our farmers and growers and producers having to plow under all of their crops because all the market had shifted between schools being closed, cruise line industries, um, restaurants, uh, even all of our, our theme parks here. And so you saw all that, but then you went into the food stores and you saw bright, bright, you know, red tomatoes from Mexico. Uh, well, Nikki, so let me, let me and, jump in here because we only have a couple more minutes, but you, you released a report, your report from your office, the impacts of Mexico's ag exports on Florida agriculture. And according to this report, it says that Florida's share of U.S. domestic market fell 40%, while Mexico's has skyrocketed 217%. President Trump needs those farmers in Florida to vote for him on November 3rd, and I would take it that, that Democrats would, and Joe Biden would like to pick up some of those farmers. Uh, for sure. And, and that's why I'm doing You know, that that's exactly the, the message is that the, the White House and the Trump administration has forgotten Florida farmers uh, and have been saying that. And we here in Florida, uh, with bipartisan support, we had a testify. Uh, we had a testimony that last week with a U.S. trade representative uh, and it was bipartisan. You had myself, including Senator Rubio and a whole bunch of our congressional delegation. This isn't partisan to us. This is the livelihood of our state. Uh, it's our number two economic driver. And during COVID, it's actually number one. And, and wow. so they have Say that again. Say that again. It's the number. Say that one more time. We are the agriculture is the number one economic driver in the state of Florida right now. Tourism is typically number one. Wow. 
See that right there. See, I mean, I mean, seriously, because you think about the impact that this is uh, that this is having uh, across the country and on states' economies. Think about that. Tourism is nothing for Florida right now. I got to ask you. We got a minute left. Are you going to run for governor? <laughs> you know, I've been asked that a lot, um, and I can tell you that I absolutely love my job. Um, I am so honored to, like I said, I won by the, the skin of my teeth, uh, 6,753 6, votes, um, and certainly trying to work through making sure that agriculture is stronger than ever through COVID uh, and getting our state through this. But, of course, there's going to be an election uh, reckoning for, for Governor DeSantis. He really has uh, put a lot of livelihoods on, on the line here, including our economy, of how he's handled COVID and a lot of other types of, re- of decisions All that right. he's made during his term. The Tampa Bay Times headline, Nikki Freed isn't running for Florida governor in 2022 yet. All right, Nikki, come back and talk to us again, all right? Thanks for making the time. Good luck. Or I guess I, I'll be watching tomorrow. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States' relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. No balloons, but plenty of virtual speeches. It's night one of the virtual Democratic National Convention. We have every angle covered. Plus, the ongoing battle for the U.S. Postal Service. I'm going to take you live up to Capitol Hill as we get the entire situation underway. $25 billion in aid. House Democrats set to vote on $25 billion worth of aid. Lots to get through. And Steve Cortez from the Trump campaign, he's going to call in. We just heard from Nikki Freed. Nikki is the Florida Commissioner of Agriculture in Florida. Might be running for governor in Florida in 2022, but we're going to get to uh, the Trump campaign as well. Jim Kessler is going to stick around, Senior Vice President for Policy and co-founder of Third Way, former Policy Director for Senator Chuck Schumer. Schumer. And Colin Reed, a GOP strategist and managing director at the Levinson Group. Buckle up, folks. Lots to get through. Make sure the windshield wipers are on and you're driving safely. We're going to cover the, the, the U.S. Postal Service issue that's been brewing. Usually, usually back in the old days, there was, during a political convention, domestic politics fell to the fell to the wayside. Not anymore, folks. Now we've got, not even a sideshow, a dominant story, the U.S. Postal Service and funding for it because the House is going to vote on $25 billion worth of aid to the post office. Uh, We're going to dive into that coming up with the panel. Jim Kessler, Senior VP for Policy and co-founder of Third Way, former policy director for Senator Chuck Schumer. And Colin Reed, a Republican strategist and managing director at the Levinson Group. Colin, I know you want to talk about about, uh, the USPS, but put a stamp on it. All right. See what I did there, Colin? See what I did? Well done. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Jim Kessler's on the line. Jim, give me a preview of tonight. It's going to be remarkable. You've got, reading from the Bloomberg Terminal, Jennifer Epstein and Tyler Pager. Democrats open their virtual convention Monday, showcasing four moderate Republicans and Joe Biden's defeated progressive opponent Bernie Sanders, all aimed at winning votes from those who'd prefer to see Donald Trump ousted from the White House. They're making an ethos appeal. 
but they're going to Jim, they're going to make an ethos appeal, but can they make a policy appeal with so many different ideological people up up giving testimony? Right. Well, I mean, look, it's amazing. You you have a a the breadth of ideology from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to John Kasich. John Kasich in 1994 was the tip of the spear of the Reagan revolution. It would be like getting Mark Meadows to come and speak at a Democratic convention. And, um, you know, it's very, very significant. Look, Biden is a moderate. Uh, he's been a centrist his entire life. Kamala Harris is a mainstream Democrat. Uh, there's always arguments within the Democratic Party about which wing of the party is going to dominate. And, you know, those fights are going to continue, that's for sure. But, you know, Biden wants to reach out to Republicans, not just to get their votes, but to, to govern as well. He wants to have a governing majority that includes Republicans out there. And I think it's a good faith effort. We'll see how far it goes. Is that? But I hear that I hear you in terms of your interpretation that it's a good faith effort. But is it smart politics? I mean, it, does he need the base to turn out more? You know, are progressives really that fired up to vote for Joe Biden, or, or does he? Or is he really? Does he have a better shot at getting Kasich Republicans? I find this fascinating, well, Jim. Yeah. So uh, look, I think that there are two areas of turnout and persuasion that have to work for Biden in order for Democrats to win. One is more base oriented, and that is. Um, African-American and Latino base voters, not all of whom are, are super progressive, but they are, um, they, they are Democratic voters, and you need to get those folks out. A lot of them are in urban areas, not all of them. And then the other place is the suburbs, which delivered Democrats the House majority in 2018. And, you know, that's very moderate. And, and the target there are uh, women voters, particularly college-educated women voters, but now more non-college-educated women voters. And I think they're looking for a unifier out there. And those attempts to unify and to bring, to hear the voices of Republicans, I think, matters. All right. Colin Reed, come in here. You heard that. You heard Jim give a, give a, a fascinating analysis of that, that need, that pitch for the political policy as well as for the political ethos. Uh, and that's really the argument that they're going to be making. Colin, your, your analysis. Yeah, well, one thing, just to respond to what Jim said, I mean, Joe Biden may have a moderate voting record, but, he, I mean, he's the one out there in his own words saying he'd be the most progressive president in history. So that's that's not a, a message that he carried with him to win the, the primary election, uh, nor is it one particularly that he's had now. I mean, I've been struck by how uh, Joe Biden, since uh, credit where credit is due, winning the winning the, his party's primary without tacking far too left has spent the ensuing five months seemingly moving further and further leftward. Um, so what I'll be watching for tonight, look, it's really easy for these Democrats and the Republicans tonight to, to make the case against Donald Trump. What I'll be watching for is to see them make the case for Joe Biden, uh, because where I've been watching this race, it, it, they just seem to want to make this election a referendum on Donald Trump. And if it is, uh, Joe Biden's got a, a, it's going to have a pretty good shot at being the next president. But presidential elections, Kevin, they don't tend to be referendums on one party. They tend to be a choice between two parties and two candidates. And uh, Donald Trump still has 77 days left to make his case for why he's a better choice than Joe Biden.
Jim, I, let me get your, your response to that. Go ahead, because, I mean, the notion of this being a referendum, any any Democratic staffer aide that I talk with on the Biden campaign, they say they want to make this a referendum. They want it to be a referendum election. And so, but my, you know, when, when they're on that debate stage, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, I mean, they, they, you can't make it a referendum. It's going to be it's going to be a choice. But I, that's why it's why I keep bringing this up. And it's why it's so fascinating that this is a virtual convention, because you're not going to have the traditional fight uh, over the party platform. We're not going to be able to really see how the sausage gets made on that front for either party. And so it, it really is kind of interesting that, that no one's really going to know, Jim. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, you know, I think this is going to be a referendum on Trump, and Democrats generally want that. A referendum on Trump, as Colin said, that's problems for Trump, and Trump wants to make it a choice. And I'll just read this quote right now. It's difficult to imagine November's election being a referendum on anything other than the current COVID pandemic and our government's response. That's from Colin Reed in Fox uh, News on April 16th, and I think this is going to be COVID is <laughs> going to be number one. I love it. He came with receipts. A, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. Hold on. Yeah, this is a I, sound on first. <laughs> never, never in a million years has someone pulled the old Timmy Russert move where they take the quote and they hold it up against someone else. I'm speechless. Go ahead, gentlemen. I don't even know who's talking anymore. Colin. Colin's an excellent writer. I read a bunch of his pieces, and I'm very impressed. Um, <laughs> but so, uh, but look, I do believe if you look at the Democratic platform, I, there's a difference between being big and being too far left. And I look at Biden's agenda, and I think it's very, very big because the problems in this country are very, very big. But look, I'm a centrist, and I'm very, very comfortable with that agenda, and I think the American people will be too. All right, Colin, you got like 30 seconds, so, cause, but I can, you know, go ahead. I, I got to let you respond. Well, my, my hat's off to you, Jim. I'm glad we found the, the, the one person who read my, uh, my column, so I uh, appreciate you <laughs> taking the time to, to check it out. Um, but look, uh, uh, my point there, uh, my, my, my point and then your point, I, I think, is right. If this is a referendum on Donald Trump's handling, of the COVID-19 pandemic, it's going to be a long night for Republicans. Uh, but again, there's 77 days to reshape and reframe that. All right. I, well, the one thing I'll look. All right, Kevin. Well, hold on. We got a lot more to talk about. We're going to check in with the post office coming up next. Colin stays. Jim stays. Does he have more receipts? I'm nervous. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. I'm not going anywhere. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Calvin Coolidge, the last time that a Republican has won the White House without winning Florida. Calvin Coolidge, 1924. Wow, you have to go way back. Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president 
of the United States. He's the last Republican to ever win the White House without uh, winning the Sunshine State. Jim Kessler's on the line. He'd like to see Joe Biden pick up Florida. He is uh, for- <laughs> Jim is a former Schumer guy, a senior vice president now for policy, uh, and now the co- and also the co-founder of Third Way. Um, and the former policy director for Senator Chuck Schumer. Colin Reeds would like to see the president win Florida. He is a GOP strategist and managing director at the Levinson Group. All right, enough about the, the convention. We'll, we'll, we'll talk on the convention. And also, of course, I think the speech everyone's going to be talking about is Michelle Obama. She speaks tonight, the former first lady. Um, and it's all I, – I didn't know this, and I should, and I feel bad that I didn't. But Wendy Benjaminson just told me this, that our, my, the Bloomberg politics editor, she said a lot of these are pre-taped. So, like, they, they submit it. You know, if you're a kid and you have to, like, submit a project, you got to submit it to Tom Perez, you know, for the, for them to, to do this. And we had some, someone who's speaking tomorrow on, and the DNC sent her, like, an iPad and everything, all the gear, the – the uh, what what do they call them? The, the the light that they put on your face. Um, it's the, the, the you know you know what I'm talking about the like it's a ring light that they that makes you look not backlit. The selfie I don't even know. All that gear was sent to them, and then they have to submit it to the DNC. Bernie Sanders, by the way, only going to be speaking for eight minutes. Eight minutes. Wow. I'm used to the days, uh, Jim, when Bill Clinton would get up there and just let it rip, go off script. <laughs> You're not going to be able to have that with these Zooms of ring light. Christine Barada, our EP, just told me, of ring light. I guess the DNC was handing out ring lights. I wonder if, if Ron Romney McDaniel is going to be doing that. Jim, but they're not going to be able to go off script. Wow. No, no, no pop and circumstance. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, I have in the past have actually written some of these speeches for Democrats going up to the uh, speak at the convention and – they don't go off script then either. Maybe the big guns like Bill Clinton do, but almost everybody else, like, you've got your speech. It is nailed down. They edit it before you go up there. You argue with them that you want to put something in. They say, no, you don't. And if you do, you never get invited back to speak again. It's like going off script on Saturday Night Live. They don't have you back to sing a song anymore. Well, I kind of go off script, and I'm still <laughs> I'm still talking every day, Jim. Uh, <laughs> what's your favorite convention memory, Colin Reed? Um, well, I will say before I answer that, you know, of all the of all the terrible things that COVID nineteen has brought to this world in the last few months, I think, and I may this may be a personal opinion here. If it means the end of these political oh, conventions going oh, forward, Colin. I think that would be a good thing. Colin. And here's why. Colin, that's a, I don't they're, even they're, know. Are you kidding me? Did you not grow up a political junkie, Colin? When was the last time, Kev, that there was actually news oh, made Colin. at one of these conventions? Colin. So, uh, Colin. I, Let me I guess. You don't like the Mummers Parade either, Colin. <laughs> well, I don't <laughs> I don't like my, my, my memories of the uh, – of, of conventions, or go back, well, the one that sticks out in my mind is 2012, the Republican convention down in Tampa. And aside from it being, uh, you know, particularly hot in late August in, in South Florida, um, that was a, a challenging year because these conventions get so polarizing and it's just, it, it becomes kind of the, it becomes a, a base, um, a base referendum. So if you're working for a member of a party from, uh, that's not I from a, 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 like I'm, a, I'm, a 
I love the conventions. I love all of it, and I miss it, and I'm annoyed that we're not having them. Jim, what's your well, favorite convention? Well, I think you're in the minority ever? there. <laughs> uh, I'm with Colin. If, if, How? Maybe it doesn't end these, but I hope it changes them dramatically because they used to mean something. They used to mean a great deal, and they've become entirely scripted and staged, and you just try to make sure there isn't a surprise, and the press looks for anything in which there is a surprise to report on it, and so it, it's lost its fluidity. So, I really disagree um, with both of you. I think that from a Philadelphia, whether it's Philadelphia or out in Cleveland, Ohio, I mean that what the, the money that this brings into cities. I mean it's it's a massive driver for the local economies. It's got you know a massive. Uh, it's a celebration of 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 Americans' de- democratic system. I mean it's you know some of our leaders. Our leaders need to get up on that stage and talk to the. It's one of the few times in politics where where they can actually talk to a national and dare I say it global audience. It's it's what gave birth to really Senator Barack Obama. It's it's it, you remember Colin Powell's speech back. Uh, you know I remember what I mean. You know you you hear about these speeches that they that they give. I mean it's I don't know. I totally disagree with both of you. I hope the conventions yeah, come not, back bigger. We're not and better questioning than ever. that point though. We're not questioning that point. We're saying up late they are just become meaningless. It's pomp and circumstance. It's entirely predictable. It's scripted. There's no surprises, and there's just a bunch of pack of reporters sitting around uh, trying to make trouble because they're bored from just covering wow. speeches written off a teleprompter. All right. Happy if, if they meant something, Monday. it would be... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the drama's gone now. There they used, they used to be drama. When my first convention was 1984. I was a Gary Hart person. And, <laughs> you know, there was drama there. You know, like, there was, there was doubt going in there, and we tried to you know, get the nomination from Mondale. And Gary Hart actually picked Geraldine Ferraro as his vice president, too. Nobody remembers that. But stuff was actually happening. Okay. Ted Cruz getting booed at the last Republican convention. That's not enough drama for you, Jim? I mean, come on. (laughs) That was... That was worth the price of admission. There are moments, and I'd like, but I, I just hope it changes. I hope it changes. Right. You know, I hope this gets some sort of rethinking. I wanted to talk about the U.S. Postal Service, but we'll cover that coming up. The House Democrats plan to add $25 billion worth in funding for the U.S. Postal Service to legislation scheduled to be voted on Saturday that would prohibit cutbacks in service ahead of the November election, according to people familiar with the matter. The move reflects a dedicated effort to strengthen the agency ahead of the mailing of millions of election ballots amid a stalemate between Republicans and Democrats on broader coronavirus relief measures. The amount is the same as what House Democrats assigned for the Postal Service in their May stimulus bill. But I can tell you that behind the scenes, folks, they were saying that they would be willing to go down to $10 billion. A lot of politics in this one, and we're going to cover it all coming up. We check in with the Trump campaign, Steve Cortez. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Panel sticking around. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and radio. we got to check in with the Trump campaign. I got to do a good job with this interview because the next guest from the Trump campaign, actually, he used to be a radio talk show host. His name is Steve Cortez, and he is on special assignment with the Trump campaign until the election in November. He had a radio show out and uh, on 560 The Answer out in uh, Chi-Town, Chicago. Steve, how are you, buddy? 
Hey, Kevin, I am great. And yes, we, we are both radio hosts, although <laughs> I put that on hiatus. I put that on ice for a few months uh, because I have a special deployment to the Trump campaign, and I'm, I'm full-time on this task uh, until victory on November 3rd. Steve, what are we going to hear tonight? I mean, it's you got John Kasich. You got three other Republicans who are, I guess they're going to be giving speeches that are already recorded. And then you got Bernie Sanders. So, you know, the Democrats that I was talking with on the program, they're saying, well, this is Joe Biden's pitch to Republicans who are unsure of the president's tone. And Joe Biden's saying, come over and join me. Right. Well, you know, first of all, I guess what I would say to them is good luck, uh, because there has never been a politician in American history, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, who has been more popular with his own party than Donald Trump is with the Republican Party. So, uh, you know, are they going to find a few retreads who are trying to find ways to stay relevant like John Kasich? I guess there were a few other folks. Frankly, I'd never heard of the other people uh, that they're going to drag out there who are, you know, supposedly Republicans. But the quickest way to to mainstream media stardom, unfortunately, right now in 2020 America, is to claim you're a Republican and then say you hate Donald Trump. It's, it's a great way to get you on CNN, MSNBC, and apparently even as part of the Democratic Convention. All right. All right. So so from a, so that we covered the, that angle of this. Now, from, a, from a theatrical, political optics standpoint, we, we were also having this conversation on the program about whether or not conventions are needed. Are they what they thought they were? I'm a fan of conventions. I like the pomp and circumstance. I like the drama. I think it's an opportunity for the, for the leaders of the party to really speak, not just to the country, but also to the world, give folks a right. preview. I mean, but, but it, it must be very difficult for, for the campaigns, both of them, to, to try to craft a, a really meaningful four-night uh, made-for-TV, made-for-viral media convention. Sure. No, listen, I think it is, absolutely, and I'll, I'll be the first to concede I think it is for our campaign. And I'm, I'm very glad that that's not, in, uh, that's not my lane. <laughs> I don't have to figure <laughs> out uh, what we're going to put on, but I think it's a huge challenge for both parties. I think conventions are not only meaningful, but also just an absolute blast. Uh, you know, last time in 2016, I actually went to both of them because I did a lot of media at the Democratic Convention in Philadelphia. Uh, I got a lot of mean looks, obviously, um, but then I also participated in the Republican one. So, uh, you know, the communal aspect of it is, is clearly important, not just for the people who are there, but also for the people who are watching. So it's, it's obviously going to be different, you know, in a lot of ways this year. Here's what I think we'll see tonight and for the next three nights after from the Democrats. They will put on a good show, though. I, I firmly believe that. They're good at this kind of stuff. Okay, they will put on. Uh, there will be showmanship and glitz. They've got Hollywood. So I'm it. Yeah, exactly. Of course they do. Of course they do. And in some ways, it's sort of Hollywood versus the heartland. And I really believe that that is emblematic of this presidential race in general. And what I mean by that is, yes, they have the coastal elites locked up. Nobody would dispute that. I wouldn't. Um, but that's not who's going to determine this election. It's, it's going to be a lot of working class Americans, many of whom happen to live in the heartland. We want votes everywhere, no matter where they live, of course. But, you know, regarding the show that they're going to put on, I think it will be an impressive show. But I also I'm calling it the Wizard of Oz convention, because I think if you look behind the curtain, what you're going to see is a corrupt and feeble man who is trying to pretend that he's something he's not. And what I mean by that is Joe Biden is trying to make it to make it seem as though he is the friend of the American worker, when in fact he is a committed globalist, somebody who has facilitated the export of millions of American jobs for decades during his half-century career in the Washington swamp. Our job is to make sure the American people know that. 
Steve Cortez is on the line. He's Trump 2020 Senior Advisor of Strategy. We had the Democrats on earlier in the program. All right, I got to move it to, to, to the economy. And, and you, of course, have all, uh, Steve has also served on Trump's National Hispanic Advisory Council. I want to talk about the economy because if, if you look at the crosstabs on these polls, and some of the polls, I, I mean, I'm looking at them, they look bad for Trump. He's down double digits. I get it. Over the weekend, I was nerding out. I was trying to track where Trump was in the 2016 cycle versus the polls now, and it's really the kind of the same. He was trailing by double digits and whatnot. But right. if you look at the crosstabs, he's, he's, he does stronger on the economy. And even in the midst of all of this back and forth and the impasse, this remarkable impasse uh, from Leader McConnell and Speaker Pelosi, they're trillions of dollars apart on the next deal. Uh, but But that's really the the one area where where the president is is beating Joe Biden on still still and so i mean that that's got to be i guess the glimmer of hope from the from from your campaign standpoint listen yeah i mean i think it's i, I think it's more than a glimmer of hope uh, but because i really believe eventually when it comes time to go to the polls um which is now whatever it is 77 days out uh most americans will actually and i and i realize this is a highly unusual election year in so many ways but I still believe that when it comes uh, time to actually cast ballots, most Americans will default to the normal rationale that drives their votes, which is which candidate can create more prosperity for me. And I really think that is the fundamental question that has it's been the driver of most elections historically. I think ultimately it will be the driver of this election as well. And on that score, uh, and if I'm correct about that, we're actually sitting in a pretty good position. Now, not a position where we can be complacent, not like we have a lead that we can sit on and stall. We're going to work and hustle as if we're down for every single vote. And according to some of the public polls, of course, we are down. But regardless, I think we should act like it uh, and be out there delivering our message. I have to say, too, we are in our campaign and the president himself. Our actions, our messaging shows uh, the, the incredible contrast versus Team Biden. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, is staying in his basement, doing carefully orchestrated digital meetings, frankly, stumbling through quite a lot of them. Uh, his people are not out, not, not just not out physically in the country, but also not out on the airways. For instance, on the Sunday shows yesterday, which is typically before a convention, uh, you would see an array of people from the Democrats out there previewing and trying to pump people up for their conventions. There was not a single person from the Biden campaign, nor either of the candidates, Biden or Harris, on any of the Sunday shows. So instead, we chose to flood the zone. Uh, the president himself and a lot of us senior folks in the campaign were all over everywhere. And by the way, not just taking softball interviews. I mean, I was on with Mike Wallace, who's probably the toughest interviewer in Besides TV this news. one. Besides this one. Um, right. I said TV news. I appreciate <laughs> it. All right, go ahead. Steve, let me, let me ask um, you this, because I do want to ask you, because one of the policy things and my day job, really, on, on Bloomberg Television is to really t track geopolitics and the rising tensions between the U.S. and China policy, specifically on, on China. And we saw how the president tried to negotiate a phase one U.S.-China trade deal. And then, you know, obviously, with what's been going on with COVID-19, uh, that, that has frozen and there's significant uh, geopolitical risk uh, in terms of... Uh, uh, escalating tensions. When I talk to Democrats, I know you don't want to hear this, but they also have concerns about China. Republicans obviously have concerns about China as well. How is China, Steve, going to play uh, in the convention next week? I mean, or do you think it's going to be because the president has said that he, he feels that he would be tougher on China than than Joe Biden? Um, they, you know, Democrats would disagree with that and whatnot. But but this issue of China has really become a central part of, of, of 2020. Sure. Oh, it absolutely has. You know, 
uh, Americans, you talked about polling, you know, uh, Americans are, are highly polarized, obviously, and there's very little that we agree on. One of the few issues that polling shows Americans just absolutely overwhelmingly agree on is a suspicious and negative attitude towards China. Um, and I mean, of course, not, not the great Chinese people who are victimized by the Chinese Communist Party. I, you know, I mean the, the Beijing regime, the CCP. And I think Americans know now, they've come to a realization, unfortunately, because of what we had to suffer through in this country in terms of health and economy. And what we're uh, still suffering know. through. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. They know that the CCP did this, that the CCP's deception and malfeasance literally infected the world. They made a willful decision to lie, to seal off Wuhan from the rest of China, but not from the rest of the world. They infected the world. They crashed the global economy. Americans know that, um, and they know who is responsible for this. And they also know further than to connect it back to U.S. politics, who has been the toughest uh, U.S. politician ever to stand up against the Chinese Communist Party, it is Donald Trump. And when we look at Joe Biden, we see exactly the opposite. Somebody who, as a senator, was the foremost proponent of including them into the WTO, giving them most favored nation status so that they could abuse the United States in trade. They're not a trade partner. They're a trade exploiter. So they could abuse American workers for the last two decades. And somebody who's also, it's not just policy, that would be bad enough, who also has a lot of personal problems uh, regarding, through his son Hunter, regarding the Chinese Communist Party. All right, Steve Cortez, uh, he's joining us from the Trump campaign. Thank you so much, Steve, for, for dropping by and for uh, for talking with me. I'll, I'll talk with you many times between now and Election Day. And coming up, Secretary Azar's trip to Taiwan and how that connects to China. I'm Kevin Cerulli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cerulli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cerulli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and, and Radio. And we will be on all night with my colleague David Weston and, of course, uh, Bloomberg's all-star team of analysts and reporters as we cover night one and all week and all next week, cover night one of the Democratic National Convention. Be sure to tune in. Uh, Michelle Obama, former First Lady Michelle Obama, will give the big speech tonight, so that'll be fascinating to see. Jim Kessler is still with me, Senior VP for Policy and Co-Founder at Third Way, former Policy Director for Senator Chuck Schumer. Colin Reed also with me, GOP Strategist and Managing Director at the Levinson Group. It's time now for What's on Your Radar, and I'm going to kick things off because this is the story that I find the most intriguing, and it's uh, we haven't really had a lot of time to unpack it, but it kind of goes with what we were talking about with Steve Cortez with regards to China. So last week, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar traveled to Taiwan. China didn't like that. Taiwan, of course, uh, this was the most high-profile visit uh, and of, of a cabinet-level official, uh, and he spoke at National Taiwan University College of Public Health, uh, criticizing Beijing and the Communist Party's uh, handling of COVID-19. China, last week, they sent fighter jets as the U.S. health chief visited Taiwan. Reading from Reuters, Chinese Air Force jets briefly crossed the midline of the Taiwan Strait on Monday, this is last week, were tracked by Taiwanese missiles, Taiwan's government said. This as U.S. health chief Alex Azar visited the island to offer President Donald Trump's support. Azar arrived in Taiwan on Sunday, the highest level US, the highest level U.S. official to visit in four decades. China, which claims the island as its own, condemned the visit, which comes after a period of sharply deteriorating relations between the United States and China. Very, very interesting, folks. And then this morning, 
when, right before I was going on to Bloomberg Surveillance, I'm, I'm checking military.com, and I see the headline, Taiwan finalizes, get this, $62 billion purchase of F-16 jets from Lockheed Martin. Taiwan finalized the purchase of F-16 fighter jets from the U.S. aircraft manufacturer Lockheed Martin on Friday, a source confirmed to the AFP, in, uh, uh, in a $62 billion 10-year deal to ang- sure to anger Beijing. It's remarkable. Remarkable to see how these tensions are playing out. We talk about it, obviously, from a market perspective with TikTok and Tencent. We talk about it from a Silicon Valley angle. We talk about it from uh, 5G and and the supply chain, but really remarkable. Uh, And and I I would love to interview Secretary Azar uh, about his recent travel. So that's what's on my radar, Jim Kessler. I don't know if you you caught any of that, but (laughs) I mean, but actually, before I ask what's on your radar, let me ask, how would Joe Biden deal with China? Well, I look, I don't know the exact answer to that question, so let me just say how I think we need to deal with China. Um, they are an adversary. There's no doubt about it. Um, we're going to have to figure out a way to deal with that adversary without having the most expensive military buildup on both sides in the history of humankind and potentially one of the most devastating wars. So we're going to have to figure out how, and with China, how to thread that needle. Because China's a problem. They cheat on trade. There's no doubt about it. They're, they're economic mercantilists. Uh, they are becoming more, um, they're stretching their military uh, might more and more. So there needs to be some answers on this. And it can't be another 50-year Cold War that we hope doesn't end with a nuclear bomb. Well, Jim, that was very... Wow. Okay. All right. What's on your radar now? <laughs> okay. The, um, going back to politics, the Democratic uh, National Committee's Rules Committee voted by 193 to 0 to eliminate all caucuses in future Democratic primary races. So goodbye and good riddance to the Iowa caucus. Uh, caucuses are voter suppression by a polite name. Uh, it keeps people from voting, and frankly, caucuses, there were 14 of them in 2016, seven of them in 2020. Caucuses are really the lifeblood of the left winning elections. They win caucus states, they lose primary states. So so what does this mean for 2024? What it means is, so Iowa might not go first, and frankly, Iowa shouldn't go first. I think there's going to be changes in the calendar, but when you, if you look at 2016 in particular, because every state voted in a contested race, Bernie Sanders won caucus states 61 to 39, and he lost primary states 57 to 43. So the caucus dynamic is the most activist voter, and it basically eliminates poor people from voting, or people who have to work, or single parents from voting, and they tend to be more moderate. So I think this is a moderating influence on the Democratic electoral process. Wow, that's a good one. All right, Colin, what's uh, what's on your radar? Yeah, as someone who was actively rooting for Bernie Sanders to win the presidential primary uh, both times around, I, 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 uh, I, I, um, I share Jim's assessment of the of the elimination of the caucus, but I, I have a different uh, reaction to it. Um, but on my radar, uh, Kevin, I'll stick to your section of the world in New Zealand, a country I think we've talked about on the show before, and one that yes. I had the 
uh, privilege of visiting uh, just before the lockdown uh, back in March and, and seeing my old boss, Ambassador Scott Brown, there. So in New Zealand today, the prime minister, who's up for re-election uh, in just a few weeks, announced a delay of the national election uh, from September 19th to October 17th. So she pushed the election back four weeks uh, in, in response to 58 new cases of uh, COVID outbreak in New Zealand. 58 cases. And uh, hardly uh, the, the amazing thing is not just that that was accomplished, but also that there was hardly a peep from the uh, opposition or any of the people trying to take her job. So uh, it's, it's kind of one of those. Can you imagine if it happened here type scenarios if Donald Trump tried to Christine Barada, our executive producer, just put in the group chat 58 cases. That's it. <laughs> I mean, like, exactly. I, that That's. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But it is remarkable. Yeah, I mean, I mean because you look at the debate that's being had here with regards to the U.S. Postal Service and whatnot and Election Day and everything, and and uh, and here's a country, New Zealand. I did I did hear about this um, uh, last night when I was prepping for for this week, and I, I thought, wow. So there, I believe that this would make them the first country that has delayed an election. And I could have this wrong, and I, but th- this is one of the first, definitely one of the first countries that has delayed an election as a result, Colin, of COVID nineteen. I think they were also the first country to be COVID-19 free at one point before this recent outbreak. So it's been a year of firsts for the uh, country of New Zealand. What's Scott Brown been up to? He's the ambassador there. He's the United States ambassador to New Zealand. So he's there. He's, uh, he's probably he's safe. He's probably the New Zealand's like the safest place to be in. Yeah, it's not a bad place to be. So uh, if you want to go uh, do an interview with him, Kev, let me know. We'll see if we can uh, make it happen. At the, I would, at the actually, you know what? Let's make it happen. Now, now we're booking for, for two weeks out. Christine Barada is like, yes, just get his <laughs> contact information. Yeah, no, we would love to have the ambassador on. Uh, obviously, it's hard. No, all I meant you should go to New Zealand. And, and, Am I allowed and, to leave the country? <laughs> Am I allowed to get on a plane? Am I allowed? Uh, Who true. knows? But I would love to. I would go anywhere. I love to travel. I miss traveling. Um, I have nothing to complain about. I have nothing but gratitude here. And for our esteemed panelist, Jim Kessler, Senior VP for Policy and co-founder of Third Way, Philly guy as well, former policy director for Senator Chuck Schumer, Colin Reed, a Patriots fan, GOP strategist and managing director at the Levinson Group. <laughs> Check in uh, cross-platform, however you get Bloomberg, the Bloomberg Terminal. Download the Bloomberg Sound on radio app. Um, anyway, you get Bloomberg. Anyway, I'm headed to the White House to... Uh, Report this thing, night one of the virtual conventions. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay uh, stay safe, stay sane, and I'll be in tomorrow, and we'll talk about what we hear tonight. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a 1,000 global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.